If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Ephesians chapter 2 this morning as we continue through the study in the book of Ephesians as we look at what it means to be in Christ. And so we've looked at redemption in Christ, growing in Christ, alive in Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And now today we looked at saved in Christ. And so we're going to cover three verses. All three verses is what we're going to get through today of chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. And the reason we're going to cover three verses is because rumor has it there was a chant that was going on in the nursery last week when I got a little long-winded of, hurry up, Jeff, hurry up, Jeff. So uh, we'll, we'll try to be mindful of those uh, workers back there. And uh, that is my shameless plug that if you are looking for an area to serve in our church, uh, we could desperately use you in the nursery area. And so um, we'd love to have a rotation going that's more widespread and we need to open up another room. And so if that's you and you say, I feel that, that tug of the spirit drawing me to nursery, you know, once a quarter, uh, find Matt after service and he'll get you all set up there. So uh, Ephesians chapter two, these verses are some of the most clear and defining verses in all of Scripture on our salvation. Salvation that is found in Christ alone. Martin Luther, as he nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany in 1517, uh, where he criticized the Catholic Church for their, um, their causing people to buy indulgences so that they could get out of sins, and so they would pay their, their penalties, literally paying the church. And so um, he was criticizing them that once you get to Scripture alone, once you get to the, the Word of God alone, that there is, there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. And so this birthed the Protestant Reformation. And so these verses may or may not be the catalyst for the Protestant Reformation, but they certainly signify to us a doctrinal truth that is found in, in Scripture. And so uh, in this Reformation, there's five doctrines that, that the church holds to, and it's Scripture alone, uh, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, to the glory of God alone. And so these are sola scriptura, sola Christus, sola fide, sola gratia, and sola dio gloria. Well, what do these mean? Well, sola scriptura, scripture alone means that it is the inspired, inerrant word of God, and that it contains everything necessary unto salvation. Everyone who reads the word of God can find the truth of what it means to be in Christ. What is in Christ alone? Well, in Christ alone means it emphasizes that salvation comes through not works, but through Christ and his work on our behalf. That as Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, Paul would write, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So in Christ alone, which then leads us to faith alone. Faith alone emphasizes the belief that salvation comes through faith and not by works. There is nothing that we must do in order to receive salvation. It is faith. As Martin Luther would say, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and so certain that man could stake his life on it a thousand times. So faith alone leads to grace alone. Grace alone emphasizes the fact that salvation is a gift from God. It is a gift that cannot be earned or deserved. Grace, as we 
read last week in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Kenneth Weiss would say it this way, When the word grace was used in the New Testament, it refers to that favor which God did at Calvary when he stepped down from his judgment throne to take upon himself the guilt and penalty of human sin. In the case of the Greek, the favor was done to a friend, never an enemy. In the case of God, it was an enemy, the sinner, bitter in his hatred of God for whom the favor was done. Salvation is given the, believer, the believing sinner out of the pure generosity of God, by grace alone, for the glory of God alone. Well, all of this is done by God and is for his glory, and so therefore the life of a believer is to be lived for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So as we think about these key doctrinal statements, we get into Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Let me pray before we jump into God's word. Gracious Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word this morning. We pray that it would be illuminated into our hearts and minds, that you would reveal your son, Jesus Christ, to us in a in a way today that brings life, brings light into the dark areas of our life, that we would be so caught in worship by what you've done on our behalf that we would live a life to glorify you. Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us. We thank you for the time we have to, to be here today to read it. Let it speak to us corporately. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's word. The first thing I'd like for you to see is salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. You know it? Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. You know this part. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Think about grace for just a second. We sing it, we read about it, it's a gift. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. As James Montgomery Boyce says, every Christian should and must believe the gospel stands or falls by grace. As B.B. Warfield says, the gospel is not really the gospel unless it is the gospel of grace. It is good news because it announces what God has done on your behalf not what you need to do to be right with him. Grace, as Vance Habner put it, 
can be spelled this way. G for gift. R for redemption. A for access. C, character. E for eternal life. Gift, the principle of grace. R, redemption, the purpose of grace. A, access, the privilege of grace. C, character, the product of grace. E, eternal life, the prospect of grace. Well, the principle of grace is that we've already said you don't deserve it. You can't earn it, and God gives it to you anyway. The purpose is to redeem us, to buy us back from sin and slavery. This is grace's purpose the privilege that we can now come boldly before the throne of grace without fear, without hesitation, that we can seek him in a time of need because we have true access. The product that it is producing in us, a Christ-like character that we cannot produce on our own, it is grace that is now empowering us to live the Christian life. The prospect that there is more than what we could ever imagine or hope for that is prepared for us for all of eternity. Grace. Grace simply defined as unmerited favor. God owes, if you think God owes you anything because you're a pretty good person, if you think he owes you anything because you've tried to be your best, if you think that God owes you anything, you're wrong. You don't earn grace. You don't deserve grace. God gives it to you because It's part of his nature. He's gracious. If God gives it to you because he even foresaw that you would be a good person, it's not grace. Grace means that you get the opposite of what you deserve. Grace. As John Piper puts it, grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. Grace is power, not just pardon. Grace. As one other person wrote, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. It's not just a pardon. It's the power that is given to the believer at Christ's expense. What is Christ's expense? What is the expense that he paid so that we could have the riches of God? Well, it was the substitutionary atonement that he paid the price of sin in our behalf on the cross. As Romans 3, 21 through 27 so clearly indicate. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. Jesus becomes both the just and the justifier. This is the gift of God's grace that he is the just and justifier that though he passed over sins knowing that as the Old Testament saints would make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice those sacrifices did nothing to atone for their sins but he knew that there would be one atoning sacrifice for all believers. 
and that he would then pour out his just judgment on sin upon himself, becoming both just and justifier. This is a gift. This is grace. The justification that we receive is is a gift, meaning that justification doesn't require that you do something in order to get it. It's a gift that is offered. Justification is received by faith alone. God has chosen that we would receive his salvation by this means alone, not by works. We can't do anything to earn it. It was at his expense. John Owen teaches that Christ did not only aim at our salvation when he died, but he died in our place to secure our redemption. Meaning that when he said it's finished, it's paid in full. There's no more sacrifices to be made on our behalf. It's grace. It is the work of God through Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is the picture that we get of the atonement, the adoption. This means that when Christ died, it wasn't impersonal. It means that it was a personal death for those who are his children. As we've read before in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In Matthew 1, 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And in Revelation, we see in 13, 8, And all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. There is a book where people's names are written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. He was atoning for their sins on the cross. It is finished. It's given to us as a gift of grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We're not saved by our faith. We're saved by God's grace. We can't receive the gift of grace without the instrument of faith. So through faith, what does this mean? Well, through faith means that a person puts their trust in what Jesus has done for them. They rest in it. They live in it. They hope in it with all assurance. This rest is possible because the gift of salvation does not depend on the level of ability or achievement, but on Christ alone and his life, death, and resurrection in in your place. Through faith, then, is not a simple belief or an intellectual agreement, but a life of ultimate surrender and rest that is a gift of grace. Through faith. What is faith? This instrument of faith, one person referred to it as a syringe. Just as a syringe is the instrument that delivers and infuses a patient with a life-saving drug that you would not be able to get unless you had the instrument. So God's grace is infused into the life of the believer through faith. It is a beautiful gift. Faith is not anything of an accomplishment on a believer's part. It's simply the empty hand that is given by God in order to enable us to receive the gift of grace. So faith is only as strong as its object. The question remains, is the object of your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, not because of any merit of your own, Or is your faith in the fact that you've done something that you think earns God's favor? A lot of times we believe that our decision to believe is our faith. My decision to do this is my faith. Faith being the instrument which God gives so that we can receive his grace means that there's nothing that we can do on our own. We are dependent upon him to produce in us anything 
as Ligon Duncan would put, if you think that you become a Christian through something that you do, that will determine in large measure the kind of Christianity that you will practice as a professing believer. If you think that it's a little of God and a little of you, then you will work like crazy as a professing believer to try and assure that you get the things that are offered in the word. You'll begin more and more to work for the promises of God. If, however, you understand that free justification is the entrance gate into a reconciled experience of communion with God, then the whole of your experience as a believer, you will understand, is undergirded by free and sovereign grace. And everything that you do in your believing experience is the result of God's grace in you, not the cause of it. It's what God is aiming to work in you, not that you, which you have to do, not that which you have to do in order for him to love you. I would say the vast majority of Christians today wholeheartedly affirm that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. However, a lot of Christians today still live under the weight that they believe that there's something they must do in order for God to love them. After salvation, they shift from by, saved by grace through faith to a, a faith of works. And so what happens is, is they put this weight, this chain of works around them. And they begin to drag it around thinking that there's something that I must do. I must abstain from this. I must do this in order for God to be happy with me, in order for God to love me. This comes in all kinds of forms because even modern Christianity, as I mentioned last week, teaches these types of things. That we can be people who have five key elements of overcoming a problem. We can be people who, who read books that have insights on how to conquer our sins and how to be a better person. We go to conferences that promote four strategies of whatever. We do these things and all of these things set to strengthen our faith are things that begin to take our focus off of what our faith should be on from the beginning. We've begun to put our faith focus on what I must do rather than on what Christ has done. So the priority of modern Christian movement has concentrated, concentrated itself on how to be a successful Christian rather than how to rest in Christ. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is a gift from God alone. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This means the entire process of being saved by grace, through faith, is a gift from God. It originates with God. As J.I. Packer would say, God saves sinners. Sinners do not save themselves in any sense at all. If you are partly responsible for your salvation, then you can share in the glory. If God did it all, he gets all the glory. So salvation is totally of the Lord. Our life is a response to what God has done on our behalf the spiritually dead person is not able to spiritually discern the things of God because they're spiritually dead. And so when he gives us his grace through the instrument of faith, then our lives then are awakened to the truth of Jesus Christ. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 14, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit whom is from God, 
that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Did you catch that? The natural person can't accept the things of the Spirit because they're folly to him. Augustine, in his On Christian Doctrine, wrote, Nay, but let every good and true Christian understand that wherever truth may be found, it belongs to his master. What does this mean, that we don't have a choice? No, we must gladly choose to follow Jesus. But we would never have decided to follow Jesus if God had not first graciously opened our blind eyes and drawn us into the beauty of Christ through his Spirit. As his sovereign gift, he revealed to you the treasure hidden in a field. In Matthew 13, 44 through 45, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in the search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he has and bought it. Blaise Pascal would say, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each, each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. We live in a world that is lost, and they're searching for truth. Though they may denounce absolute truth, they're looking for truth. They're hungry looking for a truth, and you'll hear them say things like, well, that's my truth. They're desperately grabbing at the things of this world that cannot satisfy them because there is only one true satisfaction found and is found in Jesus Christ that is revealed to those who are his by the Spirit. It's like you're in a pitch black dark room. Have you ever been in a pitch black dark room? Like, like, I mean like real dark. Like not slightly dark, like where you can't see your hand in front of your face dark. Now, I remember going on different field trips with my kids, and one of my favorite ones was the Lost Sea. And if you're not from around here, you don't know what the Lost Sea is. It's a lake underground with really scary fish. That's basically it. And there's one point where you go, and you're like in this cave, and they show you how dark it really is in there, and they turn off all the lights. And it is, it's like creepy, scary, dark, right? You're, you can't see anything, and so that's when you like pose yourself in order to scare your kid when the lights come back on. Pro tip. So, you know, it's so dark that if you were stuck in complete and total darkness and you saw a shimmer of light, you would be drawn to it. There would be, it would be an irresistible, I have got to get out of this darkness. And this is it. This is when God in his grace and his mercy shines his light upon your soul that there's this moment where you're taken out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is salvation. This is the gift of God for all who believe. When God reveals himself to a sinner in Christ and the Spirit reveals the truth of God into the heart of fallen man, the sinner is drawn out of darkness into his marvelous light. So this begs the question, how does one receive the gift of salvation that has been revealed? This is the big question. Well, as Paul would say in Romans 1, 16 through 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
Well, right here, we understand that the gospel, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he has done on our behalf because we are lost in sin and what he has done for us is the power of God for salvation, unto salvation. So there is, there is a truth, there is a truth about Jesus Christ that is the power of God to awaken a soul. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is received from God by the instrument of faith for the implementation of faith. So we're saved from faith for faith. So through this instrument of faith, we now can implement faith in our life. We can live for Christ through receiving the gospel. This is why Paul would say in Romans 10, 14 through 17, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how do they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The instrument of faith is is received. It comes through the hearing of the gospel. What a beautiful thing that God has designed for salvation, that through the proclamation of the gospel, through, through the preaching of Jesus Christ alone, that there is a power unto salvation that then imparts to a believer faith so that that faith can then be not only receiving grace, but then living out in grace. Sorry, I just nerded out on you, but that was really cool. Like just God's word. Let's go to 1 Peter 1. 23 through 25, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The power of the gospel, the gospel is not a seed that is perishable, but is imperishable. Have you received God's word? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is the gift of God alone. And so receiving this allows us to walk by faith. As we continue, we see that Oftentimes, we misunderstand the gospel. The gospel is the word of God that is received into the hearts, prompted by grace, by the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Two, through the proclamation of the gospel, the instrument of faith is thus imparted to those who have been predestined to hear the word of God and be given God's gift of grace. And three, salvation is the gift of God given and accomplished by works not by works of man, but by the life of Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we have received what has already happened, our election, our predestination, our calling, our justification, our sanctification, and the indwelling power unto obedience of faith. These are all part of the salvation that is already true through faith. So, what is easy believism then? Well, easy believism is the fact that We've dumbed it down to if you repeat a prayer after me or asking Jesus into your heart, which is not found in Scripture. 
or making an emotional decision, not a spiritual decision, or making an intellectual decision to say I believe even though it's not true faith. Unfortunately, many parents wrestle with this as their kids get older, having made a a profession of faith at a young age, and then they're just clinging to that one-time decision, even though their kids are now living an immoral lifestyle. They have to ask themselves, was it real? The question we should be asking is, did God change their heart in, in new birth? Did they become a lover of God and his word? Did they repent of their sins and seek to grow in obedience out of a love for their Savior? Has their salvation been evident in the sanctification of their life? I'm not saying that they're not going to be sinful. I'm not going to say that they're not even going to have really bad sins or really bad choices that lead to addictions and corrupt morals and corrupt relationships. But at some point, he won't let them go because salvation is a gift. The question is, has their heart received the word of God, the power unto salvation? As Matthew 13, 19 through 23 When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for the what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately he falls away. Verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it, produces, and it proves unfruitful. As for the, what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The fruit, as John, 1 John 3, 9 through 10 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. You see the connection there that the word of God has taken, taken root in the soil of the heart, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. God's gift of salvation is new birth. It's the seed abiding in the believer that is imparted to them, taking them from spiritually dead to spiritually alive in Christ and thus now producing in them a life of obedience to the glory of God alone. Faith is by faith alone that is never alone. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As Martin Luther once said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Idle faith is not justifying faith. We are his workmanship. Workmanship here can be translated from the the suffix, which means poem, masterpiece, something that is composed or constructed, meaning any work of art. It can mean a statue, a song, architecture, a poem, a painting. This is what God has destined for his people to be. The gift 
of your new life in Christ, your salvation that you did not deserve or earn in anything of yourself is now a life on display with good works for the glory of God alone. This is God's grace working out through you. As Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Paul saying, listen, this is faith unto faith. I now live out my faith because of what he's done for me. In Colossians, Paul writes in 1, 21 through 29, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which he, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul understood that salvation was a gift from God. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone that has accompanying works that, are, that make it never alone. He says that you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2, 8. This is not of your own doing. Is a gift from God. So you've been saved from the penalty of sin. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So now you're being saved from the power of sin. This is the sanctification that is taking place because of the grace that you've received. That now his life is being worked out through you. And in Romans 13.11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Not only are we saved from the penalty of sin and being saved from the power of sin, but we will one day be saved from the presence of sin. One day we will have life in all eternity with Christ because of this wonderful gift. This gift, as Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says, for the gift and the calling of God are irre irrevocable. He's not going to take it back. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You've been saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. As I end, I'm going to remind you of a really good movie, Saving Private Ryan. If I ruin this movie for you, you should have watched it by now. Saving Private Ryan is one of those war movies that just... You just sit quietly while watching. I remember sitting in the theater and watching this as, as a teenager and, and just taking it in. Grown men are crying, watching the, the brutality of war. Well, the premise is that there's a, there's a private James Ryan, played by Matt Damon, whose brothers have all been killed in battle. And so now there's a special mission to go and get him and get him safely home to his mother. And so a whole... Squad is sent out, brigade sent out, I don't, I don't know the proper term there, but they're sent out and they go through this harrowing journey 
where blood is shed and lives are lost. And at the very end, the captain's sitting there and he's mortally wounded and he pulls Ryan real close and he says, earn this, James. Earn this. You remember that? What does he mean by that? He means look at all that went through, all that, all that has gone through to, to save you. Look at all the bloodshed that has happened to save you. Look at this gift of life that has been given to you. And I think as we realize that salvation is a gift of God, that the God's word says, look at all the bloodshed that was done for you. Look at the, the price of this gift. You can't earn it. But man, you can live your life in worship. You can live your life in response to what has been done. It is a gift. And so my response is a life of worship. It's a life of surrender. It's a life from faith for faith.